Podcast, a project dedicated to sharing the stories of the people who build and those who help move construction forward. Big thank you to everyone so far that's had some uh, awesome responses after we officially launched the podcast. It means a ton to us. We finally got our first review on the App Store, so or Apple Store. So we're really, really excited about that. Five star, five star. Uh, my name is Brett Gowen. I'm the founder of Hammer and Builders of Insta, and today I'm joined by my co-host Matt Panella. What is going on, guys? Um, first off, I want to say thank you for listening to the first two episodes of the podcast. My name is Matt Panella, also known as Matt Bangswood, framer and bankrupt YouTuber based out of Central California. I'm changing it up every time. This episode, we're joined by Byron Schmidt, a Red Seal carpenter based out of Canada. Today, we're going to jump into what most people's parents and school advisors get wrong about construction and what we can do about it. Byron, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. We're going to clap you in. Oh, okay. Well, here I am. Here I am. All righty. Why don't you start it off? So tell us about your story leading up to switching from sales to becoming a wood butcher carpenter. Well, it actually starts a little bit sooner than that. Um, I did four years of a pastoral degree in university before deciding that wasn't the career path I wanted. Uh, then I was in trades and traded uh, employment and I got a promotion into a sales gig and I was like, yes, I've made it. I've got my desk. I've got a computer. I've got a swivel chair and a clicky pen. And, uh, I thought I had, <laughs> I thought I had made, made the, the dream, right? This is what everyone was working towards. And, uh, it just didn't work out. I didn't like it. Uh, it was stressful. Um, it didn't have the reward that I thought it was going to have. So what was it that led you to, a, it was a temporary gig, correct, as a carpenter? Yeah, so being um, unfulfilled in, in sales after jumping around to a different few different positions, um, my, my wife kept pushing me. She's like, just go do construction. And uh, I was like, no, I'm not gonna like it. It's outside, it's gonna be cold and wet and rainy in the Pacific Northwest. It's gonna be hot in the summers. And I kind of fought that for a while and then she was like, you're not happy doing sales, just do construction until you can find something else. And I finally gave in and was like, yeah, I'll go swing a hammer for a little bit. And uh, just, just until I can find what I want for a career. And so uh, who, who was it that she knew that was in the trades? Because most of the time when people think of as a, a career path, unless they know somebody personally in the trades, they don't really think of that as a recommendation. Does she know somebody or family? She just knew my character uh, is all it was. Um, I, w I always did like hobbyist things. I was always fixing things around the house or working on small projects. Um, I have a collection of furniture items that I built while I was in school. So I was familiar with the shop. I had my own, a collection of tools already. Um, and she just knew it was something that I would enjoy. Um, but I wasn't willing to go there because it, it was never advertised to me as a career path. Um, Byron, I have a question really quick. Uh, how, how long were you in sales before you started your construction gig? There was actually a couple of different roles I was in with the sales and each of them was about 18 months to two years. So in total, it was probably about five or a little bit more years of, of sales. Did you, uh, when you were growing up, did you ever have like... <clears throat> Uh, the influence from like school advisors or, or your parents or any of your, your peers kind of look away from construction? Do you feel like that was like a big influence on you to never really consider it? Or it was just not knowing about the industry that, you know, you thought you had to go into sales? Like, what was it for you? Uh, sticking like in high school, the thing that sticks out to me is like the, the um, career days where they have the booth set up of all the different career paths you can choose. And I remember walking around there and like, there's, you know, computer science development and medical and, you know, all the <clears throat> different uh, like corporate desk job styles. Um, but there was no booth for like hands-on trades. There was no plumbers there. There was no electricians there. There was no carpenters there. Um, and so it was never, 
overtly advertised that trades was a career path. It was, it always seemed like an afterthought, even in the uh, <clears throat> trades program at the school. Like I, I spent a lot of time in the wood shop and we learned skills, but it was never said you can take these skills and earn a wage and, you know, have a lifestyle with these skills. Um, and it, it was really disappointing, like looking back to see that no one ever said the skilled trades are a career. Byron, how old are you? I am 35. Man, that's a lot of people that got missed out on the opportunity to push the trades. A lot yep. of people. Because that's, um, my father said the same thing as well. He took wood shop in high school and it was cool and all, but they didn't really push that either. It was mm-hmm. something that a lot of people did and it was a fun little hobby while they were in school. But even then they weren't pushing it as like, you can take the skills that you've gained from this class and actually go succeed somewhere. And right. I think, I think that's one of the biggest problems we've got. We work with a school down South in, in San Diego. Teachers. Awesome. And I went down there and worked one-on-one with the kids. And one of the kids is absolutely killing it now. It's, it's, I keep in touch with him quite often. He's making $30, $37 an hour, union wages, 19 years old, absolutely crushing it, working his ass off. But it was all because his teacher told him, you can do this and you can take what you know from here and go as far as you want. And I, th- I think that's, that's a big push that needs to happen. I, I agree with you, Matt. I, I want to bring that up too, because even like um, there was no like shop classes or anything that existed when I was going through uh, high school. I think remembering back, I, I think my impression of it was when my brother had the shop classes in his high school and he was nine years older than me. And so like shop classes and everything were pulled from high schools and yep. just that initial impression. But, you know, I, I had a father in the industry, so that, that was my impression. My grandfather was a logger, but looking at high school, there was no impression of that. That wasn't even like a consideration. Um, that was never a topic. Yeah, they, they pulled it from the high schools here as well. I tried to work with them, um, and I found out that they've, they've pulled the majority of all trade-related classes. But even when I was in high school, they had one or two of them. Welding was an option. Carpentry was somewhat an option but you had to have good grades to get into those classes. So I was never able to actually take the fun classes. I feel like they, they should allow that, but I wasn't a grade A student. So I didn't have that privilege. Byron, you, uh, you, we, we'd covered you for one of our workforce Wednesdays and uh, it was mainly more of a, a of a teaser story because we were going to have <laughs> you on the podcast and everything to yeah. talk about this. Um, but I want to I want to directly quote you from uh, something that you'd said in the the workforce Wednesday, and it was um, the education system groomed me to chase the desk job as a measure of success. I was under the assumption that the fulfilling aspect of the job would be with the monetary success of sales. With the growing family and bills being tight, I made the su- I made the switch to framing as a temporary gig and income while I thought on a career path. About three months in, I already knew that I had found my career. Um, we, we've kind of talked already about, you know, like how the schooling system was grooming you to think about the trades. There was virtually no impression there uh, on mm-hmm. you to see it as like a viable career path, given the, the skills that you could obtain and use that in the real world. But I want to ask you uh, specifically about the three months in that you had already knew you found your career path. Um, not necessarily like your, your background or anything. Cause you, you already told us that, you know, you, you had some tools, you, you liked building projects and everything like that. But um, I want to bring this up because I, I, I can guarantee that there are people out in the world right now that have been in your exact same shoes or they're completely in the shoes right now. I mean, they're in a mm-hmm. job. They don't like whatever they're doing. They may be behind a, a desk job. They feel trapped because of this idea that there's only, monetary success, um, having an achievable career in like the corporate setting. And, um, you know, maybe they're influenced by their, by the interests of other people, their parents, Mm -hmm. the schooling system, and, uh, this idea that if you go into the trades, you're a failure. So I'm curious, like in that three months that you knew you found the career path, like, what was that moment like for you? Was it like an aha moment where you just knew and it clicked? Like what was going through your head during that moment? 
it's really weird because the reason I didn't want to go into the trades was I didn't want to be outside all the time. I didn't want to be in the sun. I didn't want to be in the rain. It was, it just seemed like a really poor place to be. And when I started, it was September. So here in the Fraser Valley, that's like the start of rainy season. So three months in, we're looking at, you know, what is that? December, November, December. And so I'm like right in the middle of the rain, but every day I'd go to work and I could work my eight hours, turn around at the end of the day while I'm walking to the truck and be like, I built that. And it was just like the most satisfying level of, of achievement at the end of every day. It's not, I took papers from this side of my desk, made some marks on them and put them on this side of my desk. Like that's completely useless in, in the fulfillment center of my brain. But when I walk onto a job site at the beginning of the day and then walk off at the end of the day and be like, oh, there's 13 decks on this apartment that are sleepered and sheeted and, and ready to go for the next trade to come in, that's satisfying. I'm sure you can attest to that too. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's definitely, I, I worked retail for a minute. It's something I haven't really talked about a whole lot. Um, <laughs> I worked in the trades from 16 until 18. And then at 18, same exact situation. I, I thought um, maybe working in a store, maybe working retail, high up management would, would pay well. And I ran with it. And I, I got hired at AutoZone, as, as crazy as that sounds. And I thought it, I thought it was like my end game. I thought I was going to go high and, and make bank and take off. And I was the youngest manager in pretty much the state of California, like as soon as I turned, you have to be 18 to work for him. As soon as I turned 18, I was management and it was great. I was making 12 bucks an hour. I hated it. I was working 70 to 80 hours a week, depending on the week. And I was hiring people on at 13 or 14. And I'm thinking, this is ridiculous. I need to get out of here. And it was the same thing. Like, like Byron was talking about, it was papers. It was babysitting. It was, there was, there was nothing that I could see going up, nothing getting built. There wasn't progression. Um, and that's something that I like about the trades is being able to, to watch a house go up or, or watch something get built. Um, it's definitely a rewarding feeling. I have a question around that. Um, was that like the, the deciding factor for you, Matt, or even you, Byron, too? Um, was like the, the fulfillment part of it? Or was it like having the knowledge and an in-demand uh, skill that was going to be able to, you were going to be able to monetize through that. Was it, was it the pay or was it like the fulfillment that you're like, yes, this is my career. So I think one thing for me was knowing that at any given time, if I quit that job at AutoZone, my position would be filled within 48 hours. And that, mm -hmm. that was kind of something that didn't sit right with me, knowing that I was simply a number for a big corporate company. And with, with carpentry and with really any, any sort of building aspect, we, we take pride in what we do. Therefore, there's a million carpenters out there. Not all of them are great. So if you, if you take pride in your work, you can go far. So I think doing something that not everybody can do, and then, and then granted, the, the income is nice, and it's a, a long-lasting career. Yeah, for me, it was just like the fulfillment of, of being able to achieve something every day and being able to challenge myself <clears throat> with learning a skill. Um, while I had like book knowledge and some, some understanding from working with my hands in the past at like the high school level, um, moving into production framing was really like teaching my mind something, teaching my hands something, like taking the skills and knowledge to the next level. And that um, the never stop learning is a really like important aspect of, of my lifestyle and coupling that with a skill and then being able to make a wage on it. It's, it's just a perfect storm of a, of a career path. So. And then to, to chime in there as well. Um, another thing that I like about it is I, I worked at AutoZone for that short period of time and I could change someone's battery if I needed to. Granted, I could do that before with carpentry. Like for instance, my, my great aunt just got hit with cancer for the third time and um, she needed a ADA ramp on her, on her house. And instead of hiring somebody to go out there and do it, we went out there, covered materials and, and put this up in the last couple of days. It's what I've been doing. And to be able to offer something like that is, 
it's pretty awesome knowing that you have a skill that not everybody has. I think we're going to jump right into the whole educational system. Um, if the majority of our traditional school counselors, which I have a great experience with, and advisors aren't grooming the younger generation and promoting construction as an awesome career path, what's some real industry advice you'd give to somebody looking to get into the industry or someone who's hesitating to take that first step? If you're hesitating to take that first step, just do it. Like, what's, what's going to stop you? If, if you're looking at trades as a, as a career option or even just a summer employment option, do it like there's lots there's lots of jobs out there there's lots of guys willing to to teach out there um but yeah there's there's no reason to to follow poor advice from an educational advisor i think a, a lot of the times too it's parents um i've talked to a lot of kids that have parents that are <clears throat> are really really on their kids about not going in the route of the trades because they feel like they'll never be successful and i, I feel like that's something we need to overcome as well um, along with guidance counselors too, because man, I have one heck of a story with mine. He's a great dude. I just talked to him like a year ago, but oh, we went to bat. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's pretty sad the the climate that can be out there regarding the trades. I was having a conversation uh, with a gentleman uh, sl- shortly after uh, achieving my Red Seal status. And we had talked before, but nothing, you know, in depth. It was more like, hi, how are you? Yeah, good, fine. How, how's it going? Whatever. But uh, he was like, oh, I don't even know what you do for a living. I was like, oh, I just got my red seal for carpentry. And without skipping a beat, he said to me, he's like, why, uh, why would you go to school for framing? All you do is put a stud every 16 inches. And I was... <laughs> I was so shocked by that. I didn't know how to respond to him, but it was like the there's miseducation about the skill and the trades and what is actually involved with being a skilled tradesman. Um, I, sure, I everyone can buy a hammer. Yeah, anyone can buy a hammer. Anyone can you know throw nails through a two by four, um, but if you don't do that correctly you're going to have some major problems and it's not so much that we need to educate people about like how to use hand tools sometimes, but we need to educate people about why we need the skilled trades. And it's, it's just a mark that's missed about, you know, getting from, we need skilled trades, but, you need to respect skilled trades at the same time. I think a lot of the times people look at it as more of like a, like a grunt manual labor. That's all it ever will be kind of thing. But in reality, the further we get down the road, we're getting more energy efficient. We're our, our building codes are going through the roof here. We're following a standard that was completely unheard mm-hmm. of back in the eighties and the nineties. And you can't just be any old Joe Schmo with a hammer showing up to frame the place like there is a ton of thought process that goes into each and every building and i think that we're, we're working towards a transitional shift from they're just a bunch of old pirates to like we're actually worth something matt you bring up a yep. good point byron you you said it a couple <laughs> times but the, the key word that i was really picking up on is, is skilled and and the reason why i want to bring that up is because if you look at construction construction as um, you know, legacy industry. I mean, it, it thrived through the industrial era. And now we're moving into more of like the talent era of like, you need real skills. We have new materials coming in, new components, energy efficiency, and like so many different ways to build now and like new technologies to use. Like, like what Matt said, you're not going to be able to no longer be like the Joe Schmo that just shows up on site and does manual labor. And uh, that, that was really interesting that, that stood out to me because, yeah, I'm a big believer that we're moving more towards the, the talent area. I mean, Byron, you work with a lot of prefab and everything. So you're working with yep. um, advanced ways of building as well. So um, I, th- I think you're even seeing that with, with, uh, with the work that you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely uh, a, a shift. And I've even seen it in the, in the eight years that I've been in the industry from – 
you know, stick framing walls in place to, to factory building walls and shipping them to site. Um, and it's, it's a completely different mind game um, to be able to, to look at plans while you're standing in the footprint of the building versus looking at plans standing at a, a radial arm saw and making sure that building goes up um, as smoothly but five times faster. It's the ability to know what you're building off of a set of paper rather than standing there in person looking at it. And I, yeah. I agree completely. TJ and, and us talked about on the last episode of the podcast um, about how they're, they're in a, a similar game, um, multifamily, yeah. big, big projects. And like he was saying, it's, it's more than just prefabbed walls, prefabbed floor systems, all that good stuff. It's a thought process and it's, constantly thinking ahead to make sure that a b and c goes smooth to where the next floor system goes up smooth and there, there's so much more to it than just having a bunch of walls shipped out and people throwing them around like crazy yep yeah that's a good point you bring that up i was talking to an organization yesterday and uh i mean we we're talking about modular prefab components everything and it's just the the level of like how intuitive designs have to be now for um, the building to come together on site like that with prefab modular components it, it is just like so next level and I think that's really where it needs to be taken to the next level like through technology is to really empower the people in the field to do their jobs correctly because the communication between both sides of the spectrum has to be like seamless so you have a good functioning process um, and I think that requires a very very skilled workforce to do that. Real quick though, Byron, do you, yep. the, the same crew that's on site putting the walls in place and putting the floor systems in place, are you guys also the same people that are in the, the shop building the walls and putting everything together? Uh, yes and no. Uh, there are some projects where we uh, outsource our panels um, and then there are other projects where we build our own panels. So um, the projects that we're on right now uh, we've got outsourced panels um, and project that I'm actually on right now, just finishing some up, stuff up before the next trades come in. Um, phase one, we outsourced our panels and then they said for the final two floors, it was too confusing for them to do. So I laid out those panels and then the next building, we said, why give them the easy work? And we did the whole thing. So um, yeah, it really depends on scheduling and, uh, how our projects are lining up, whether we outsource those or build them ourselves. So that, that kind of brings me into my next question. As far as quality control goes, do you have obviously a, a better, smoother running job when you guys do everything yourselves or does it, does it work out about the same having them do it compared to you? It are, are, they, are they able to put out things. the same quality? Well, there, there's one, one company locally here that, uh, their quality is actually phenomenal. Uh, they got all their tub backing in and railing backing and everything. Like they'll do all their raked walls and, and all that uh, based off computer controlled layout. Um, and then when we do our own prefab, I'm in the shop laying out off a piece of paper with colored pens in front of me. And uh, I do my best, but uh, I'm no computer controlled layout. so. There's sometimes sure. a few hiccups, um, but the guys on site make sure I know about them <laughs> right away. They, uh, they send me pictures with uh, Byron builds and uh, <laughs> nice. And uh, yeah, so I do my best to make sure I don't get sent those while, while the buildings are going up, but mistakes. I want to, I want to transition us back kind of more on topic around the, the next generation and what we can do. But I, I did want to ask you, um, from when you first came into the industry, obviously we've made some leaps and the materials used. How, how, uh, how much less of the physical demands um, are required from you today versus like when you started? Has it become easier on you, harder? Um, and do you see that becoming easier for the next generation? Because the reason why I ask is uh, one of the leading indicators for um, a lot of these high school students that um, are surveyed is many of them the, the turnoff is the physical demands of it. There may be some great benefits, but I'm curious to ask you, 
with uh, you working with prefab and these different materials, has it become easier for you? And do you think it's going to become easier for the next generation? Well, the, the becoming easier is, is not a straightforward question because as you become more skilled, your role becomes less physically demanding. So anyone who enters the trade, well, carpentry anyway, and framing is going to, is going to have the more labor intensive jobs to begin with um, simply because the, the skill isn't there to do the, the non grunt work. And then as you prove yourself that you can do the grunt work and figure out the, the more complex tasks, then you'll be put in more of a thinking and challenging role to solve the problems, to organize things and tell other people to do the heavy work. I think that, that's something that we have a big problem with because we, we hire, we hire kids from time to time and majority of the time they, they don't make it through. And I think quite often it's because of that manual labor. It's the, the nonstop grunt work. And like yeah. Byron was saying, when you don't know what you're doing, you need to stay working on a job site. So what are you going to do? You're going to pick up trash. You're going to move this. You're going to get that. That's why we essentially call them gophers. You go for just about anything you need. And I mean, it comes with time over, over the years, you'll learn more. And as you learn more, you work less. It's kind of a, a backwards deal there. The journeymen don't work a whole lot and man, the laborers, they'll, they'll bust their backs. So, but at the same time, we've got guys on our crew that have never worked without a crane. Like I, when I started, we were hand lifting walls. We were building walls bent over and I'm working with, grunts now who complain because they have to build a wall on a table and they have to lift a wall with a crane and it's it's not the same grunt work as it used to be um so in the in the mid-rise multifamily that i'm doing the the physical labor piece isn't as big as it used to be um we're, we're seeing that quite a bit out here as well my, my grandfather has quite a few names for me um that i, I can't mention for um, keeping this PG, <laughs> but since I've been in the industry, we've used a reach lift for everything. And back when my grandfather and father were framing in the nineties, that was unheard of. You didn't mm -hmm. get a reach lift. You got, sometimes they would get a crane for trusses, but majority of the time they hand loaded up onto the roof or they were lucky enough to have a company that would load them for them. But everything was done by hand. And I think there's quite a few changes we've made to the industry that require a reach lift such as here in California, we're building nothing but two by six exterior walls. And typically our walls are pretty dang tall. And if you've got a, a 50 foot long wall, that was two by four back in the day. Sure. It's fairly easy to lift, but you make it a two by six with monsters headers and it's sheeted. You're going to want a lift to reach that, or you're going to want a lift to lift that up. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I agree that the grunt work has definitely changed over time, but I feel like as we get farther advanced in this, this industry, stuff's getting heavier. Yep. I don't want to break my back. Like uh, TJ was talking about his 2,800 pound uh, panels that he's swinging in for the and CLT stuff. You'd probably yeah. still get some of the older <laughs> cats that would say that they would lift that up on a, a shoulder and two ladders. <laughs> it's, it's inevitable. <laughs> All right. Byron, uh, you're, you're obviously pretty big on social media. Um, and I'm bringing this up because I think a lot of the perception has trained, has changed around the construction industry, given that, um, people in the field are now kind of like in power of showing the real things that are going on in the industry. When did you first start on social media and like, how has it changed your overall perception of everything? Media was probably three years ago. Um, and I just found, you know, guys like uh, Canadian Carpenter and Toolholic and um, saw that they were putting a positive spin on just daily work. And since my daily work never really felt like work, it's something I enjoyed do doing. I thought I might as well document it and see, see where it goes. Um, and as that progressed, um, people started asking questions about, 
you know, why I was building things certain ways or um, how I achieved Sunday. certain things. And Simple Tip Sunday started. Um, you can see my charging wall behind me here is actually uh, the first run of all my Simple Tip Sundays. That thing's covered front and back with uh, different instructionals. It's been sanded off I don't know how many times. Um, but yeah, it's just like, yeah, you want to know how to lay out stairs. I'll do a one minute long video on how to get your stair rise. I'll do a one minute long video on how to do, you know, proper hardwood flooring layout. So you have even courses on each side. And uh, it, it, all, it all came down to this mentality. If, if I can't understand it simply, I can't explain it to someone else. So if I can't cram it into a minute, um, that means I don't understand it and I won't be able to teach it to you. So I just tried to take these ideas, these basics of carpentry and, and share some knowledge. Um, and I haven't been on the Simple Tip Sunday recently as much as I wanted to, but that's because I'm trying to get this shop organized so I can do some better work. Uh, we moved, it's COVID, you know, 2020 got in the way, but- uh, It had its own plans. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what I'm really like, looking forward to now is this whole idea of abolish trade secrets. Um, mm. you, you hear that term thrown around. Oh yeah. It's a trade secret. It's a trade secret. Um, that's great. If you have like, you know, a root beer recipe or a secret sauce recipe, but when it comes to building houses and the infrastructure of our world, don't keep that a secret. Like, you know, what? Need I'm, to know I'm, I'm gonna... Oh, go on. Go on. You were, you were, now. uh, yeah, people need to know, like, <laughs> are we still here? <laughs> we're back. All right. Yeah. People need to know just like, um, how to, how to better themselves, how to have the skills so that they don't have to be that grunt so that they can move from denailing lumber and stacking garbage to, cutting joists and stringers and, you know, laying out a wall. Um, and Matt's been great at that with his YouTube channel. Um, oh, don't praise and, me in here. Come on now. <laughs> but it's good. Like we, we need more skilled trade focused education. And if the schools aren't providing it, people are still going to look for it. Yeah. Um, I was just going to bring that up, Byron. Like, you guys are the educators and mentors now. The amount of people that reach out to you, um, get industry advice, or just how you do certain things in the trades. I mean, if the schooling system isn't going to do it, you guys are obviously taking it over. And I think that's helped a lot of, lot of people navigate the industry because they can reach out to you guys and say, how do you do things? Um, if I want to get into the industry, what, what's the steps that you took? And I just think that's kind of cool, both of you, that you've just completely leaned into that role, whether you're teaching tips, doing YouTube videos, or just um, kind of like leaning into that mentor role because we need it. And we don't have the educational system in place where people are properly promoting the industry. And nor do we even have like the financial backing that a lot of these trade schools and programs need to be a, a very well-developed program. And mm -hmm. so it's guys like you that are, that are changing um, both how it's perceived, but also the education around it. So that, that's one thing I've never liked is I've talked to a lot of high school teachers. Colleges and trade schools have a fairly good amount of budgeting, but I cannot tell you how many high school teachers I've talked to that are paying out of their own pockets their income to buy the nail guns that are given to these students to where they can learn how to frame, to where they can learn how to build. In a, in a world where, I mean, this country is fairly wealthy. You would think that they would have enough funding for these classrooms to have the tools that they need. And with social media, it's, it's given a lot of people a platform and majority of these big brands are reaching out and actually donating tools to these classrooms, but still these teachers are spending their own money on tools that should be given to them for these kids to learn. And I wanted to jump back for two seconds about the whole trade secret thing that Byron was talking about. <clears throat> I have to say, I, I absolutely hate that. Um, I'm all for sharing anything that you can possibly share. And I, I'm going to high key kind of call out a lot of people right here, but I've never 
never met one person that said something about about the trade secrets that was actually worth learning from the people that i feel like talk about hiding their trade secrets typically don't know a lot themselves and i feel like that's a, a big reason of why they even mention the we need to hide our trade secrets it's probably because they don't know a whole lot themselves but you have people like byron here who on that little little piece of plywood in the back there has millions of views on instagram and has helped a ton of people so mm -hmm. take it for what it's worth i mean if if they're not going to share it someone's going to share a few it, so. people you got two viewers right here, Byron. Two of your biggest fans. Yep. <laughs> I also want to bring up the fact that well, I've known you. I've known Byron longer than I've known you, Breg. Isn't that crazy? All right. Well, I'm not your co-host anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, Byron. <laughs> Welcome, Byron. Byron, have fun, man. Um, Byron, I want to I want to ask you. Um, wrapping around full circle to what we can kind of do as an industry. What, what are some of the key things that you think are helping attract this next generation? And, and what do you think the industry can do better? Well, what can we do to attract the next industry or the next, the next generation to the industry? Um, just a matter of, of like exposure and showing that there is there's credibility in the trades. I posted a, a story from a sticker question. I was wearing the, the shirt from uh, Alex of Final Framing where it says no framing, no life. And I just commented on it because without framing, I've got uh, no income, which supports my family, my tool addiction. Um, and it was just like, I got a comment back from someone and they were like, how are you are you a tradesman with a single income, four kids, a house? I was just like, there's money in the trades. Like you can be a, a contributing wealthy member of society if you have a skilled trade under your belt. Um, and I, I think that's a piece that the next generation doesn't see is that with a skilled trade comes an income for your life. I agree with that. Um, here in California, things are pretty expensive, but a lot of the kids that I went to school with are either still living at home with parents or they're paying $800 a month to rent a closet in a nice house. And I don't, I don't know. My, my wife doesn't work. She stays at home with the kiddos since they're little. Mm -hmm. And it's been that way since I was 18. And the trades gave me the ability to do that. And if I didn't have the trades, I honestly... I have no idea how I would have done it. I mean, granted there's college routes, but I would have been in debt and I, I, well, I'm 24 now. I would have been out hopefully, but the trades gave me that at a much quicker rate than I ever expected. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's sad that uh, most of the young people leaving high school right now are pursuing hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt and I see guys coming through our crew who are working summer jobs with us doing construction so that they can pay off their schooling. So trades is paying, like you'll make more money here than you'll make at whatever career you're going to that's costing you so much. Um, I, I have yet to have anyone take me up on that. I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard once again, kids that I went to school with or, or friends of mine from school telling me that they're finally done with college and that they're, they're making $27 an hour. And it's like, that's awesome. But you're $50,000 in debt. You spent four years of your life and you're making less than what we pay framers that have been doing this for two to three years. And they were paid the whole time they learned. And I think that's a big thing is like, you can get paid to learn in this trade and that's huge. Yeah, I agree. I mean, like the notion that you can't make a good living in the trades is completely wrong. And I think it's just properly educating um, people going through high school. They need to be educated on the benefits of the construction career, what they can make, um, you know, having a skill that can turn into, into monetary success in the long run. 
um, all of these sort of things these needs needs to be met in the in the high school um, students but you guys are completely right I, I just think there's a completely wrong notion around you can't make a good living in the industry I know so many people that have started out in the trades um, went on to run their own business and are like extremely successful and so whenever I hear like the construction industry isn't uh, an industry that that pays well you can't be successful it's like absolutely just mind-boggling to me that that statement even exists sure yeah you can be deadbeat in construction you can be deadbeat in any industry it doesn't matter which one you're in it just depends like is the are the skills that you're learning are they going to become commoditized is it an actual skill that can be monetized for the long term and i think like what you said byron you're constantly learning and i think they the evolution of the industry those skills are always going to be in demand we're coming up on a 10 billion person planet. Like we yeah. have to build, that's the thing. And so I, I don't really think there's gonna be any shortage of building that needs to be done. Well, what it comes down to is as much as, you know, we need doctors, we need lawyers, we need shopping malls, we need restaurants. We need the buildings to house all those things as well. And if, if the trades aren't a focus, our infrastructure is going to be run down and everyone who goes to university for the lawyers and the doctors and everything else that our society still needs, isn't going to have a place to work. Um, so a, a skilled trades are the foundation for the rest of our society. So touching on that really quick. Um, my mother-in-law was, she's, she's been to college many years. She's very successful what she does. Um, but she's in the medical industry and she kills it. And we've always seen differently because obviously she went the route of college and she did well for herself. She's still doing awesome. And then I was kind of this little pirate from the trades that married her daughter. And it wasn't until her oldest son uh, went to school to be an electrician. He's now a successful electrician, journeyman out. Uh, he's doing well. We were building a medical building nearby, 13,000 square feet, cute little thing. And it was a fun project. And then she started talking about the fact that they're considering switching buildings and renting out a new one that's getting built. And then it turns out that the building that they were planning on renting was actually the one that we were in the process of framing for. And I think there was a little bit of a mutual respect there because you don't ever think about it like that. You don't think about the fact that a group of people that are highly skilled at what they do are currently building the building that you're gonna be making your money in for the next 10, 15, 20 years. So you're completely correct. You have to have the buildings for those people that may not have gone the route of the trades to do what they have to do. Every, every college, every house, every building, every hospital has been built by people with their hands. And I think that's pretty rad. You guys bring up a really good point. Um, uh, NKBA, uh, for the listeners that don't know who NKBA is, maybe Brian, Byron, you don't know either, but they're the National Kitchen and Bathroom Association. And they surveyed uh, the, these high school students. And what you guys are touching on is really interesting because uh, a lot of these students have um, stated the, the perceived benefits of the skilled trades. The third highest perceived benefit is actually always need and in-demand skills. Like they're going to be mm -hmm. in-demand in the future. And I think that's something that definitely needs to be pushed is um, if you're going to be exploring a career in the construction you're going to have those skills. You're going to retain them for life and you're always going to have a career in it. And I think that this notion too, that the construction industry is just like a gig that you do on the weekends or for summer. Sure. That, that can be great to like float you if you need the money, if you're trying to do whatever you're trying to do. But also we, we need to start seeing the construction in, industry as a, as a viable career option, not just some side gig you do uh, when you feel like you, you need some money. I think it's been seen that way because that's that's what a lot of people are about for years and years. That's been like, oh, my neighbor can do it. He he's in construction, <laughs> and we we still deal with that a lot with uh, with homeowners and stuff bidding smaller jobs. It's like, oh, my my cousin down the road he can he can build this deck for half the price, and it's like, well, that's wonderful. We we carry a two million dollar policy, and if someone dies here, you're good, but let him do it. So I think I think we're working towards it. It's we've come a long ways from what it was. I'll say that. I agree. And I think, uh, I think social media has definitely helped out for sure. 
You got guys mm-hmm. like guys like you that a lot of these younger people look up to. That's scary. You're not that bad of a human, Matt. <laughs> Byron, um, is there any last thing that you want to touch on that we did not touch on in this uh, episode so far? No, I don't think so. If, uh, if anyone's listening and they, they want to get into the trades or, or it's even like a curiosity at all, go find a crew in, in whatever trade it is. If, if you like dealing with crap, go be a plumber. If you like, you know, a little spark in your life, go be a sparky um, or just come be a wood butcher. Like there's, there's lots, the trades aren't just specific to, to like the realm that I know of carpentry. Um, so yeah, there, there's lots of different trades out. Go try all of them. Find one you like. Um, Cause being shackled to a desk is no fun at least for me. I, I love how you uh, describe the, the, the jobs too. If you need some spark in your life, give me a sparky. <laughs> you should write every job description. <laughs> uh, Byron, before we uh, wrap up our episode, we end every episode with the fast five. It's five questions to be answered in a sentence or less. Um, the first one. Okay. So this was actually requested by several people, um, we had surveyed some people Uh-oh. and they, they sent in the question that they wanted to ask you. So we're going to start off with a really serious question. Um, don't want to shake you too much, but uh, um, do you live in an igloo? <laughs> Actually, seasonally, yes. No, no, we don't. No igloos here. I thought, I thought um, you are going to give us some crazy story. <laughs> it's, uh, it's hard to live in an igloo when you get – seven million millimeters of rain over the winter and uh about two millimeters of snow so no igloo you're also pretty tall you'd have to build a very large one yeah we can go north and build one there's some up there but not not here i'll take a rain check (laughs) all right number two you're a six five carpenter emphasis on the six five uh, yeah. But you're also a skateboarder. What's your uh, who's your favorite skateboarder? Oh, see, I I grew up in a different generation of skaters than now. Um, Rodney Mullen is probably the guy that I would look up to the most. The legend of Flatland. Yeah. Question: Have you played Tony Hawk Pro Skater One and Two Remastered? No, I have not. I, I don't to. play I, any video games. Okay, I don't care if you don't play any video games. You need to play that. That's the only thing I've been doing lately. God, I think okay, you so, can read the entire back of the uh, the video game, Matt. You know it by heart. So here, here's why the, the King of Flatland uh, resonates with me. I grew up in, in Saskatchewan, which is like the prairies, Flatland. Yeah. Is that a place? That's a place. Okay. It, you look at it on a map. It's For sure. uh, north north of Montana. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, but it's completely flat. So we had no hills. So flatland is good. There we go. <laughs> I, I'm really curious, like how good you are at skateboarding. So, like, what's the best best trick you can land? Right now. Besides ollie, <laughs> I, I can still kickflip. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I haven't. Uh, I haven't skated for any significant amount of time for probably 15 years. So. Well, we're looking forward to uh, the day that you start again. Okay. Uh, number, th- <laughs> number three, what's your all time favorite movie? The fast franchise. Oh gosh. Even the end, like the latest ones. I, I, Uh, simply because it's the, the same characters. Uh, I wish they focused more on the cars. They need to get back to the street racing. But uh, yeah, one, uh, Fast One, uh, Tokyo Drift. We can forget about number two. Um, just classics. I, I feel it. like after Paul Walker was gone, they needed to close that off. But I just, I just heard they're coming out with two more. And I can agree with the Paul so Walker thing. 
with the last one having them flying cars in Dubai through big hotels and skyscrapers, I feel like we're we're gonna have like some space force scenes coming soon. All right, Byron, number four um, on the 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 more or less serious questions. What makes you most excited about the future of construction? More or less excited about the future of construction. Um, just the new the new products and and techniques that are coming out. Um, we've gone from two by four exterior walls um, to engineered floor systems to like buildings that are are rated to move 26 inches in any direction in a, a seismic event. So like, yeah, what's, what's next in the, the engineering with, with a natural product like wood? It's, it's crazy. All right. And the uh, last one, number five, your one message to the next generation would be find what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Woo. Mic drop. That was Mic drop. Can we do that? Yeah, I like that. Awesome. Uh, Byron, before we let you off the hook, obviously, thanks so much for joining us on the Bread to Build podcast. Um, Glad to where, be can, here. where can people connect with you? I'm on Instagram almost all day uh, at Byron Builds. And uh, I've got a placeholder on YouTube, which I'm going to be working on once the shop is all set up. Um, also at Byron Builds. So, Links are down below. Right, it's man. been there fun. Thank you for coming on. Um, this has been a long thanks time coming. Me. Years to be exact. Guys, thanks for listening to the third episode of the Bread to Build podcast, a project dedicated to sharing the stories of the people who build and those who move the construction industry forward. If you like this episode and you like what we're doing, drop an awesome review. If you'd like to join us on the podcast or have topics that you'd like us to cover, send us an email at breadtobuildpodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to follow us on social, you can find me personally on all platforms at Brett Goen or We Are Hammer and Builders of Insta on Instagram. Thank you guys for listening to the third episode. Many more to come. You can find me on nearly every social media outlet at Matt Bangswood or on Hammer at hammer.com slash Matt. We'll see you guys next time on the Bread to Build podcast. Thank you for listening. Cast me far away. Play these little games.